Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hello in Dubai. How are- Hello brother. How, How are you? Going? How are you good? How are you? Huh. I'm very relaxed and not really prepared to do any work, so go easy on me. That's all right. Are you (laughs) relaxed because you're not sitting next to me? Yeah, no, it's just been nice to be... I'm still working. I'm still talking about work and injecting, but it's it's obviously very different because you're just enjoying yourself and having a few Negronis here and there. (laughs) So at the time of recording this, you're currently overseas. You've just left Monaco a few days ago. You've arrived in Dubai. You were over at AMWC. AMWC? Yeah. Well, I'll fill you in on the journey. Yeah. So, so I did a week in London just to see my parents and essentially get over the jet lag. You can't go to these conferences, you know, straight off a plane from Australia. It would just be a complete waste of time. Right. Um, so nice to catch up with the family. I was also invited to um, the M-Face launch at BTL in London. All right. So one of my colleague friends, Sharina Ballaratnam, was talking and I got to sit in the crowd and see how BTL roll in the UK and funny enough it's very similar to Australia yeah how was um, the, but it was good how was the presentation received on that yeah it was great I mean it was a smaller event compared to the Australian launch to be right. honest the, the one that Gareth did from BTL Australia was massive it was a, a big yacht party um, <laughs> but here it was much more you know formal is in the Bulgari Hotel in Chelsea which was very nice I would guess there's 100 maybe 150 people Right. Um, and there were a number of speakers, including my friend Sharina. And it was cool. I mean, you know, I, I kind of felt like the expert because I'd seen all the talks yeah. or many of the talks before. Uh, but it was nice to talk to colleagues. And I spoke to a plastic surgeon who works in Chelsea, who uses the device. It's just interesting, you know, just to see how they've integrated it into their practice, which is cool. Always nice to see different perspectives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was well received. So uh, it, was, it was nice to be invited. Right. So that so that happened in, in the UK. So you were a few yes. days there with the parents, family, sister and, and her kids. Kid or kids? Is it one, two? Kids. My my sister's got a daughter and a son, right. like both like eight and three. So a lot of fun. Nice to see Uncle Jakey. <laughs> <laughs> but then I then I had to go on my travel. So yeah. yeah, then I flew to well actually before that I had dinner with Alice Hart Davis oh, and yeah. Steve Harris, which was nice. nice. So had a nice little pub dinner and catch up and you know, chatting about you know, the state of the UK market and what's going on and mm-hmm. sort of a prelude to AMWC because Alice was invited with Allegan to go and, I guess, from a media perspective. So, so I saw Alice in Monaco as well. Right. Um, yeah. And then I took a flight to Zurich to see our friend Felix Bertram. Yeah. Um, which was very cool. So what'd you as do? we sort of touched yeah. on when, well, when Felix was on the podcast, he sort of described his clinic and I guess until you go there, you can't quite believe the scale of this place. but 
hats off to you, Felix, if you're listening. It was it was exactly what you said. It's it's essentially like a I guess it's like an aesthetic hospital. It's multi-story, multi-room, multi-level. Um, he had at least one theatre actually running, so there were surgeons going, numerous derms walking all over the place, um, consulting rooms, and then of course his two-star Michelin restaurant that I did go to, which was oh, amazing. Right. Yeah, so they opened up very specially just for me and Felix because they don't, you know, they don't work on certain days. They're only open, I think, Wednesday to Saturday. I think. So the whole restaurant. Um, so we had like was. Yeah, we had a taster meal. It was like a three-course taster meal. Wow. And you know, not that I generally go to Michelin-style restaurants, but it was genuinely. I'm not, I'm not saying this or paid to say this. It was delicious and wow. incredibly presented, and the ambiance is fantastic. So thank you again, Felix and the yeah. team. Uh, and it was cool. You get to. Well, you, you know, I got to talk to the chefs and, and speak to them about, you know, the aesthetic and and the history of the restaurant and, and the concept. It was really cool. And how many people would that restaurant sit, do you think? When it's a capacity? Uh, he did tell me. So essentially, they take a, a pre-booked number of bookings. So you can't just walk in and say, hi, I'd like dinner. You, yeah. You're booked in and, and you meet at the, let's call it the reception, and yep. you're greeted with, I think, a glass of champagne. And there's like a journey. You, you sort of go into the restaurant together. Wow. So it's very, very cool. Um, so we've got to go one day. We'll go back. Yeah. Have a proper meal. Wow. That sounds amazing. And I mean, like, it's just, and it's like, this is attached to his, to his clinic. Like it's sort of like. So... Literally, there's like a little gangway. I can't remember what floor we were on, but he was like, if we go this way, this is like the secret entrance to the restaurant. I was like, oh, okay. And you open these doors and you sort of turn up in the back of the kitchen. And, uh, yeah. And then you just walk through to the restaurant. It was very, very cool. Wow. And so the, 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 the clinic itself in terms of, so there's, there's derms, there's patients running around, there's like a, I guess a hive of activity. Like how, how does it differ? I think from the clinics we see here in Australia in terms of, you know, we've got some mega clinics here, like Stephen Luce clinic, you know, shape here in Darwin mm. and Sydney. What are the sort of major differences do you, do you feel between the clinics there and here? That's a great question. Actually, funny enough, I was a pseudo patient. So yeah. when I went to London, um, I don't know if it's like the change of because it, it was freezing cold in London and also Zurich. And then you go into the houses where everyone's got their central heating on, and then you go out into the cold again. My nose got incredibly. Um, this is going to sound disgusting. Just blocked with snot, basically. Right. <laughs> and as a result of that, I, I think I was just trying to clear my nose regularly, and I must have got a little infection so my nose like the actual skin was really sore so i must have had a bacterial infection of the skin i even like got some like acne spots i don't have acne at all i've never had acne but around my neck i got some acne so i was like wow i'm in a place with like 10 specialist dermatologists let's go and ask them what the hell's going on in my skin um and so when as we were having dinner believe it or not one of the derms came to see me at the dinner table <laughs> with a yeah with like a dermatoscope and she looked into my nose, et cetera. And she was like, yeah, you probably do have a bacterial infection. And literally gave me some topical uh, antibiotics. And just in case things got worse on my trip, some um, doxycycline tablets as well, which I thought was incredible service. It was awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I didn't, I, what I'm saying is I didn't get to go through the formal journey of right. being a patient. But from what I saw, um, I guess not too dissimilar. You turn up at a, a communal reception desk. Yep. There's a nice waiting area. Um, and then sort of flowing down the side of that corridor, there were, you know, a hundred consulting rooms. I don't know how many, but plenty. And it's just a hive of activity. But 
you go to each room and you sort of, I, you know, I had a tour with Felix. You look in and it feels like a five-star hotel, yeah, but a clinic. So not too fancy, but just very nicely done. It, it's quite clinical as well, but just everything was spacious, nice, practical. Uh, and, you know, you weren't struggling for space, whereas many clinics, you think, wow, this place looks crammed. Yeah. And, you know, there's machines shoved in the corner, all that kind of stuff. So maybe it was just the experience of feeling quiet and yeah. organized and spacious and clean. I don't, I don't know yeah. if, if I could honestly say there's anything extra in addition to that, but just the service, you know, you felt looked after. Yeah. The patients were all very calm. And there was actually numerous waiting spaces. So you're not all sat together. Right. A bit like maybe in a chain clinic where you're sort yeah. of feeling a bit awkward occasionally, I guess. Yeah. And do you think that's a like a, a reflection of the just the culture of that part of the world, do you think? Well, it's really interesting because I said to Felix, you know, we were in Zurich. Well, I flew to Zurich, but then it was about half an hour drive to the clinic. So I, I believe the clinic's in a more rural, let's say, remote location. Right. So I did go for a walk one morning or, or the morning I was there and I thought, wow, this place is dead. There was like no one around. So I, I was trying to get a feel for where I was and, and what sort of patients come to the clinic. But I gather many patients will go there because it's right next to a main train station. Right. Um, or of course, you can drive there. There's a huge car park nearby. So I, get, I think they get all sorts, including international patients as well. That's crazy. I'm definitely keen to Just, come and check it out yeah yeah it's, it's just uh i guess in australia we're very used to the practicality of being in a mall or yeah somewhere like that whereas this was the complete opposite this was like we're going to be somewhere where there's space it's quiet and you come to us but then once you're here we'll look after you it, it was almost the opposite of, yeah. of what you get in australia yeah it's an interesting sort of way of looking at it yeah the the, the sort of the inverted proposition and um, I do, oh. I, I do wonder. I mean, we do have a few instances of these sorts of clinics in Australia, but they're definitely not the norm. Did you, did you get a sense for this was very out of the ordinary or typical of clinics within that part of the world? Was this just sort of like you know, have you experienced the very top end of the market only, or is this? That's a good question. So the derm who who treated me, she had originally worked, I think, in what she called a chain yeah. uh, in Germany. She's from Germany, just like Felix is. And, um, yeah, she, she sort of implied that this is quite different. She, she said, I mean, mm. just, you know, just aesthetically and, and size wise and, and scale, obviously this is probably one, well, the biggest in the country, yeah. but also just, you know, what they can offer the scale of services, the quality of services, uh, maybe the bespoke nature of how you're looked after as a patient. Yeah. Um, but, but of course I didn't see what they call a chain. So I have no idea what that yeah. actually looks like. Yeah. Okay. So. Sounds like you had a, a great trip. You got a free meal, a free assessment. You got some free steroid cream <laughs> and, and some antibiotics and a, nice, yeah. and a nice bacterial infection to take with you to Monaco. Yeah, well, luckily it all cleared up literally yeah. overnight. I felt a lot better. And then, yes, I went to AMWC, which um, we'll probably touch on in more detail in, a, in another podcast. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some, some of our patrons or, yeah. or listeners on again to sort of do it in a bit more detail. But mm. just to say, it was, it was my first AMWC, as it was for some of my colleagues as well. Yeah. And it was everything as advertised. Massive, yeah. crazy, confusing, um, easy to get lost. Uh, all the things that our patrons touched on in our uh, podcast about in It felt oh. very 
like if you haven't planned this, you're going to get lost and waste your time. So yeah, I mean, for me, my my personal sort of goal was connection, socializing, uh, looking at new podcast ideas, um, yeah. connecting with you know one or t- two specific people. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think from my perspective, I managed to achieve that. But look, it was just so much on offer that it's a complete sensory overwhelm. Yeah. And so many people, and you know, just some of the practical sort of tips, like you've got about ten to twelve thousand people crammed into this conference center, and you're trying to get on the Wi-Fi so you can, you know, just contact a colleague to say, "Hey, I'll meet you for a coffee after." And there's just so many people on the Wi-Fi network that you, you'd be very lucky to get on. So just practical things like actually planning your day and saying to people, this is where I'm going to be for the morning and this is where I'm going to be the afternoon so I can actually see you even if I can't contact you. Wow. That would be quite useful to know because it was just chaos. And like it's very hard to describe the center. IMCAS is much more, I don't know, it felt a bit more spacious, whereas this place is like a rabbit warren of labyrinths. Right. And you sort of go down one corridor and you're like, how the hell did I get here? And how the hell do I get back? It was just... Very, very confusing. Uh, and everything looks the same because you've got basically the whole place is an exhibitor hall, right? That, uh, plus, you know, some of the big electric halls, maybe downstairs, right? But super confusing. Like, yeah, I don't know anyone who knew their way around. Everyone was lost. And in terms of this internet issue that you're talking about, so you don't have any sort of 4G or 5G recourse, nothing, <laughs> nothing. So there's no, there's no, well, another practical tip. Uh, when or I'm on Optus, which is an Australian phone network for those abroad. And when I went to the UK and France, I've got international roaming set up. So as soon as I hit that country's airspace, I get a text saying, you're in the UK, uh, you've got a gig of free data, go for your life, and there's no problem. It just works seamlessly. Right. When you go to a smaller country like Monaco, it doesn't happen because they're not on the agreement with Optus. Right. So literally, uh, and, and I spoke to many people about this issue, at least from Australia, every... 20 minutes or so, I was getting a text from Optus saying, you've used another $50. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so literally, I was, I was getting texts like numerous times a day, unless obviously you turn off your roaming, to use no data. Because it got to the point where I'm not even making this up. I probably spent $950 extra in roaming. Wow. It was just insane. So you really want to go and get yourself an eSIM or a SIM at Nice Airport or wherever you land. And and get yourself a local sim for that um, that event. That that would be my top tip because uh, yeah, I, I just got completely screwed with extra data usage. And, and actually, it's a problem. You can't you can't communicate with people. You're sort of rationing your data to send a text. It was crazy. I think you should call Optus. You might be able to get some of that um, credited back to your account. I've had these issues before where you didn't realize that. Really. Yeah. What do you say? I was a complete numpty and I didn't know. Yeah, just say, look, I can't afford I can't afford this bill. It's ridiculous. I went for a conference. I didn't realize that my international roaming didn't sort of apply to this country and I've got this ridiculous bill. I'm been a long time loyal <laughs> customer. Can you please try and help me out? And usually they're they're pretty good. Um I'll be able to see you weren't there downloading like, you know, gigs of data. You were just <laughs> It was just you got screwed. Yes, you didn't know. just trying to communicate with people. Yeah, de- definitely worth a phone call, I would say, if you can sit on hold for three hours. 100%. should get through to someone. So I, I noticed on your Instagram stories, there was plenty of IA patron 
um, goings on and lots of people turned up. That, that was amazing. Places. Yeah. So tell, talk, talk to me about that. So I feel a bit jealous I wasn't there. So Yeah. Look, that, that really was amazing. And um, for those of you who are maybe new to the podcast and, and don't even know what we mean by IA Patreon, it's our subscription service for extra education and extra business support. Uh, um, well, we've got nearly 200 patrons now. Is that right? Yeah. Just, 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 just shy of 200, I think. Just yeah. shy of 200. Um, so anyway, so we obviously knew some of our patrons would be going to Monaco. And just so we weren't spamming our WhatsApp groups within the patron, we set up a Monaco group so we could, you know, chat and communicate amongst yeah. ourselves. And I think there was probably a core eight to 10 of us. Right. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I felt bad because, um, I organized the night for the patrons where we had drinks and it was amazing. Yeah. We, you know, had a proper sit down and a catch up. But apart from that, I was flitting all over the place. I, I, I was not sort of in the IA patron crew sort of going to all the lectures because I was trying to, you know, sort of spin about 10 plates in different directions, trying to see different groups of people. But from what I could see from the patrons, and maybe we could get them onto a podcast to talk about Monaco, they they acted as like a little social group. They were went okay. to all the lectures together. They're having lunch together. They went for dinner together. It was awesome to see. And, you know, some of them were like, this is amazing. I would have come here and just not known what to do. But now I have a community to to be with and have fun with. So yeah. it was great. So shout out to Agnes, Diana. I think Rihanna was there, Stephen Land. Um, there, was, there was a few of them. So it was great. Yeah. And I saw you caught up with uh, Mr. Julian, Mr. Dan Julian. Had a few little Oh, of course. There. Dan was yeah. part of the crew as well. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Dan was part of the IO Patreon crew as well. I can't believe I forgot him. But uh, yeah, it was great to meet him. And I met his wife, Michelle, as well. So that was nice. Um, I think Michelle was basically being massaged and pampered in the spa for two of the days. And then on day three, she actually came out to meet the people. So (laughs) it was nice to meet Michelle, Dan's wife as well. (laughs) Yeah. So so how does does AMWC differ from... Because you're an old hat at these conferences now. You've basically been to all of them. How how does this mm. other than having no data how how does this differ from, from your other conferences? I mean, I guess for people listening that are trying to work out a decision on where they're going to go, you know, do they go to IMCAS? Do they go to AMWC? Do they come to A twenty two A twenty three here in Australia in August? Like, what what sort of sets this conference? That's apart? a really good question. So, I guess very broadly speaking, IMCAS and AMWC are very similar size, about ten ten ish thousand people, maybe a bit more, a bit less. Yep. Um, they both have numerous rooms going parallel at the same time. So there'll always be something for you to learn. Um, I did, I, I still feel as a beginner, if you're like a new injector one or two years into your career, uh, I spoke to Dan about this actually, because, you know, he's been injecting for I think five years now, but he, he's been to all the events even in his earlier career. Mm. If you're quite motivated, you're keen, you're hungry, you will, you will find something to learn for sure. But I do think there is a risk of going when you're a little bit junior, a bit green, that it could be overwhelming. Right. Uh, you know, even for, I remember when Bonnie, we had Bonnie on to talk about MCAS, she even said like it was just, you know, it's just an overload of stuff and you're not quite sure what to do, where to go, who to be with. So plan your day properly, look at the, the program and just ring like, you know, three things that you definitely want to go to in that day. Don't overwhelm yourself with a whole day's worth of lectures. It's too exhausting and uh, and too difficult. But, you know, get three or four under your belt every day. Um, but why would you choose one or the other? I, you know, they're both similar locations. You've got either Paris or Monaco. They're like a country apart. 
They've oh. still got to go to Europe. Um, well, they are. They're like Monaco is a drive from Nice, basically. Yeah, but it's, it's basically, isn't it like basically part of France? I've just carved out and called it Monaco. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like a principality. No, yeah. it's, a, it's a country or principality. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But yeah, they speak French. It feels like France. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say that in Monaco, and I mean, this is kind of the stereotype, but there are a lot of, there's a lot of money sloshing around and you've got the <laughs> casino and the harbour and yachts and, you, you know, you sort of go to the casino square and there's like, it seems like no one doesn't drive a Lamborghini or a Bentley. It just, it's, you know, it's an opulent place. It's quite cool to go to at least once in your life if you're going to go to one of these events. Whereas, of course, Paris is, you know, just a big capital city oh. where, you know, Paris is, is great, but it, it's not quite Monaco, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess from a geographic and a, a, a weather perspective, Monaco is done, you know, just turning into April. So it's quite nice. It was quite warm yeah. and there's no rain, et cetera. Whereas Paris is always in January and it's freezing cold, yeah. dark, gray, et cetera. So, you know, if you're traveling from abroad and you want a bit of a holiday kind of feel, Monaco is probably a better bet. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, controversial. I don't know. Yeah. I, I um, I kind of always imagine that Monaco, like I, I can sort of imagine like James Bond rocking up in an Aston Martin. <laughs> like it's literally, he was like literally. from Casino Royale or something. Yeah, like literally, it, it, it very much feels like a little bit abstract. It kind of feels like you're in a movie set because everything's just glitzy and glam and a bit over the top, and everyone's walking around head to toe in, you know, branded gear, and it, it's kind of a bit funny. It's a bit. It's a bit funny to kind of think, wow, this is how people live. But, you know, it's a different part of the world, I guess. So it's yeah. fun to explore. Um, but, yeah, look, you take your pick. You know, you're going to learn something at both. Um, I felt like and maybe this is just because I'm maybe more connected with uh, sort of some of the better-known injectors, but AMWC felt like a few more of the rock stars came, yeah. uh, including Michael Caine. Right. I think Michael Caine, he, he's been to like 20 in a row. So this is his 20th in a row or something crazy. Um, and I have to say, his talk that he did was outstanding. So I'd like to touch on that in a podcast all by itself if we can. So yeah, let's see if Michael will come on and, and do that one with us, if I can reach out to him. But uh, look, you're going to learn something from all these people. They're, they're, they're not cheap. You know, you're going to get your flights from Australia, pay one or 2000 for a ticket, depending on what, what you know, qualification you have. All the food, all the drink—it's—it's a—it's a significant expense. Yeah. Um, but I was talking to Agnes, one of our patrons, and she loved it. She's already inspired to go to a conference in the UK just because she loved the whole, I guess, community vibe of meeting yeah. new injectors, and it all feels adventurous, and yeah. everything is new, and you're seeing all these new products that we don't have in Australia. So it's quite exciting. Yeah. What products were there that we haven't got here yet? Like, what what are we looking forward to? What's what's coming? Honestly, it, it, <laughs> to be honest, it, it's just confusing. There's just yeah. so much stuff. I think you called it a harassment alley. I think yeah, <laughs> you yeah. described it as yeah. on one of our previous podcasts. Yeah. But you know, there's so much stuff that, to be honest, I ignored nearly yeah. all of it. It's there's there's numerous random lasers and devices and fat freezing things and you name it like there's a, there'll be a million things that you've never seen in australia and they're never going to come to australia because of tga and yeah you know it's probably not a profitable market to just market to 20 million people yeah uh whereas in europe you've got such a huge uh pool of people to market to 
And the way I understand it in Europe is most things just need a CE mark, which is a very low yeah. level of regulation or license. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, teddy bears yeah, yeah. made in China have got a CE mark. Yeah, it's just yeah. Right. It's stupid. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. We're never going to see this stuff. So I yeah. almost thought, what's the point? I'm going to learn about something that I'm never going to see again. And um, one of our patrons, I think, presented there. Um, Simone presented at the conference. I'm quite sure she said she was. Did you see her lecture or her talk? Well, she did about four talks, I believe. Wow. Um, oh, wow. I did, I did, excuse me, I did catch up with her and, and find out that they went really well, but I have to say I wasn't in, in the hall. But the good thing about uh, both MCAS and MWC is you can actually watch back. Yeah. So I think for the next week I can watch, not all, but most of the lectures back. So Simone, if you're listening, I will try and listen yeah. to some of your talks. Uh, but if you miss that window, there's another app. I can't remember what it stands for, but it's AMS. So right. it's like an app, an educational app as part of uh, AMWC. And that gives you 365 years of, of viewing of all of these lectures. So if you're getting a bit of FOMO and thinking, shit, I wish I had gone, just go to this app and you can actually just, you know, watch most of the lectures anyway in the comfort of your own home. Right. Okay. And yeah. so I'm, I'm uh, curious from, from our own perspective, was there much awareness about the podcast over there? I mean, I know you caught up with IA patrons, but in terms of just general people that you sort of met walking around the conference. Was yeah. It, yeah. What was that like? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm not going to make out like I was Michael Jackson and I had hordes of people coming <laughs> to see me, but I did have, um, yeah, numerous people, uh, you know, just walking past, um, just sort of bumping into people like, oh my God, you're doing the podcast and can I have a selfie? And it was really, really nice. Uh, they were from all over the world, some from the States, uh, some from Germany, UK, of course. Like, I, I couldn't tell you everyone's name or, or exactly what their background was. But yeah, a lot of attention, uh, a lot of awareness for the podcast and what we do. So nice. yeah, it was really nice, I have to say. Yeah, it was cool. Um, and it's always nice to say to people, well, how did you find out about us and do a, sort yeah. of a bit of market research? And most people don't know. So it's, it's all just word of mouth or my friend told me or it popped up on my Instagram. So it's all very organic. You yeah. know, I'll be honest, you and I don't put any money into marketing. We just show up, do a podcast and hope for the best. <laughs> That's definitely my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the key takeaways? I know we're going to talk about your time in Miami as well because I've, I've got up your Instagram page Ooh. and takeaways you had from from your talk there and your time at the Miami conference. But what did you what were your sort of key takeaways from 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 this conference precisely? Okay. So from I guess a personal perspective, I can only speak for myself. Um I identified well what I wanted to do was go to the main Allegan events because you know I've got a lot of Allegan colleagues in the UK, the States, a few other countries where we never get to spend any time together and talk about the global strategy for what's coming and, and what they're doing in their own country. So um, when I say symposium, each pharma company, whether it's Tioxane, Allegan, Galderma, et cetera, they will hold some key events or, or key talks and presentations. So Allegan did one on, um, I guess, their focus for the next year. I can't remember the exact title, but it's essentially their 360 approach to the patient, but also embracing us as trainers and teachers. Yep. Um, then there was another one where Maurizio was in town. So Maurizio did, I, I, I'm not just saying this because he's my mentor or a good injector, 
uh, one of the UK doctors, Tapan Patel, who we've had on the podcast, he was, I guess, the host of the talk and he presented Maurizio and it was Tapan's job to choose Maurizio's patient. And so he chose, you know, incredibly complicated patient, difficult, heavy set face, double chin, small chin, needed a lot of work. Uh, and, you know, the transformation done live in front of us was probably one of the best cases I've ever seen in my life. It was oh. outstanding. So always nice to sort of be inspired, see, you know, your your key mentors or I guess uh, leaders in the industry doing their thing rather than just saying I do it. They actually did it. Um, you know, because a lot of people can show you before and afters, but you're like, well, really? Is it a bit of trickery, a bit of light? But no, this was real. So that was really cool. Um, I did touch base with another couple of um, symposiums and key talks. I went to one of the Mertz ones where Raja Quinn was injecting. It's just nice to see what's around, but you can't go to everything. It's just there's too many things going on. So key takeaway, look at the program, ring, you know, one key thing per day that you have to go to, and then maybe two or three that would be nice, but maybe not, you know, totally necessary if you can't make it or if lunch goes on too long or whatever. Um, plan it, obviously, the logistics of the phones. And one of the big things was where people were staying. The hotels were just unbelievably overbooked. So many people struggled to even stay in Monaco. They had to stay in Nice. And, you know, there's one road going in and out of Nice to Monaco. So if there's a car accident like I had when I landed, I was in traffic for about two hours trying to get into Monaco. Um, so, you know, try and book something as early as possible. I mean, I know I'm going to go next year. So I'm already trying to book something for next year because I know I'm going. So I might as well book something as early as I can. Um, it looks like all the hotels are already booked because a lot of the companies block book all of the hotels. Um, so my top tip, if you're, if you're going to go to AMWC, book an Airbnb now, just get it under your belt. I'm going to book it now before this podcast comes out. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe we can have an IA party house somewhere. We should absolutely. Um, if I could just <laughs> if I could just press you on the Maurizio demonstration, if that's what you could call it. Yeah. What yeah. was it that he? I mean, you're an experienced injector. You, you teach and you, and you lecture, and you've seen a lot of good and a lot of bad. What was yeah. it about what he did that was so remarkable in terms of that transformation? I mean, it might be hard to sort of identify. No, that. no, no. It's a good question. So. I guess it's even the same for, let's say, when I'm training a beginner and I'm teaching them one technique, say, say the cheek, and I'm, you know, I'm saying things like inject down onto the bone, do three boluses of 0.1 and, you know, aspirate before you inject. That sounds so simple, right? Even, you know, if you were a doctor but had never injected, you, you would be able to follow those commands. But when you actually do it and when you watch a new injector physically try to do it, you see so many nuances of why they're not doing what I'm actually saying. Yeah. So, for example, they're shaking or they're not quite on the bone or their angle's wrong or they forget to aspirate and so on. So when you watch someone like Maurizio who invented his own technique called the MD Codes doing it, it's as pure as it can be because it's delivered exactly how it should be done. Yeah. Whereas when you get other injectors doing what they call the MD Codes, really it's like a cannibalized not quite actual version of the MD codes. When you see it done, you're like, no, that's not really how it's done. Right. So I guess what I'm saying is he just executes everything exactly, the right layer, right volume, right depth. And it's just poetry in motion just to watch. It's it's just it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you know, for example, when we when we inject a chin to try and advance the jaw forwards, 
and in fact improve a double chin. You'd think that's impossible with a bit of filler, but you see it done. It's not trickery. It, it actually happens. This woman had a very heavy double chin and using a lot of filler in the front of the chin to sort of project her chin forwards, but also drape the skin better. You just saw her double chin disappear. It was incredible. Jesus. So yeah. And what sort of volumes is he using? I mean, is it when you're looking at the before and the after result and you had to sort of guess how many mils of filler are being used, does it sort of surprise you how much or how little he's using? Because I guess that kind of would make someone, you know, I, I, I kind of think that the more advanced you get, the better you are at using less. You actually become more deliberate with where you're putting product and, and the layer that you're putting it in. So I'm really curious about how that works. So I will caveat this by saying the MD codes, sorry, not the MD codes technique per se, but what Maurizio offers is total face transformation. Obviously, the patients still look normal. They don't look weird or augmented or puffy, but he uses big volumes of filler. So the strategy is not to do it in one go. Obviously, on the day, he's showcasing you know a lot of filler, but in real life, you would break that up into three or four treatments over a year. So it's realistic for your patient. Um, but you know, when, when we saw this woman's face pre-injectables and Tapan sort of flashed her up, he actually said, how many mils do you think he's going to do tomorrow? Because the symposiums are on different days. Sure. I guess she would need it about 20 mils. I know that sounds crazy, but to deliver a result in my head, having seen her face, you know, just sort of roughly in my head, I thought, wow, you're going to need about 15 to 20 mils. Uh, he actually did it with 15, which, you know, still sounds crazy and maybe unattainable to your average injector. But the way I look at it is when you see this woman's before photo and after, it was so transformative for this woman that her whole life and confidence and way people see her is going to change now for the better, obviously. Yeah. She just looked heavy, like I said, heavy double chin, lack of definition to the face, she looked tired. And I guess if you had have consulted that patient and said, what do you want from this treatment? She would have said, well, I just want to look better. Like globally, I just look, you know, mm. overweight and, and not very defined and I look tired. And everything he did for her was so far above what most injectors would think is achievable with a bit of filler that I think at that level, you could say to a patient, look, there is no other treatment, including surgery, that can change your face as much as I can do in the next half an hour. Yeah. And, you know, if you looked at some of Maurizio's before and afters, they are so radically different but good that I think people would be happy to drop five grand, 10 grand on that treatment because they get an instant result. They walk away the same day with a yeah. totally new face. And there's no, no real downtime. I mean, bruising and swelling oh, compared to surgery. You're going to be, you're going to be pretty swollen, particularly in the chin, but Again, if you consult properly, you say to your patient, look, the next few days to a week, this is going to be a bit tight and sore. These yeah. are things to look out for. I think people would accept that. Well, but they do because, you know, we do this all the time. But honestly, it, it's very hard to sort of express this without photos. I'll see yeah. if, um, yeah, good if we it's could, possible. Yeah. Good if we could get the photos to accompany this podcast when it comes out on when we promote it. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say now that's probably impossible because of patient confidentiality, et cetera. But Nevertheless, I, I think um, if we can do this in some way, maybe in our Patreon group or something, yeah. Yeah, um, it was amazing. And I, I really have to say it was mind-blowing. And just to watch it and, you know, we know all the techniques as, as even advanced injectors. We know what he's going to do. There's nothing new, yeah. but it's the execution and how he does it. 
and yeah. where he he chooses to put certain volumes of filler to get the most bang for your buck. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Now I'll press you on a couple of maybe controversial viewpoints on, on what you just described. And, and the first one, would mm. be this. do you think that it is positive or negative for a new injector to watch someone like Maurizio perform what you just described? And I'll, I'll sort of preface that question with, or mm. do you think that it potentially gives a new injector who probably doesn't know what they don't know yet, uh, maybe does it overwhelm them? Does it make them feel like potentially give them too much confidence to do things that they potentially aren't technically um, ready to do yet? Um, or do you think that it, you know, paves the way for someone to aspire to that kind of level? I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm curious to see what you think. That's a really good question. And actually, I'm going to ask you a question after because you've actually got some insight into this. Yeah. But I think if you ask anyone who goes to see Maurizio inject for the first time particularly, you will sit there in complete and utter awe and you'll walk away in some way inspired. Even if you're confused or you don't know how to do it, you'll be like, holy shit, I might be able to do that one day. And I am, you know, hugely sort of inspired to, to carry on and learn. So from that perspective, I think it's incredible. Uh, I, I've never seen another injector who's, who quite gets me in the edge of my seat as much as that. Yeah. Um, so th th that's a huge positive. Um, I think you'd have to have some insight as an injector, regardless of your level, to say, is it reasonable for me to do this in my clinic tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, you know, truly, if you've never learned how to do periorbital or how to advance a jaw forwards, don't have a crack at it tomorrow. You know, <laughs> that seems, yeah. that, that kind of seems like logical to say, but I guess when you watch certain things or occasionally you might YouTube something, you know, th th there's a bit of leeway to try things, but stay within your own lane. If you've never been taught how to do a technique, go and learn first. Yeah. And what I would hope um, if you are using, you know, Maurizio's sort of using Allegan products, the next step would be to call your local Allegan uh, faculty or, or trainers and say, hey, I went to the event. I'm so inspired to do X. Can you teach me? That would be the logical thing to do. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you can't go from crawling to sprinting. It's just not, it's just not feasible. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's hugely inspiring. And you could argue the same for any of these things shown. I mean, uh, I think one of Simone's uh, talks was on rhinoplasty, uh, non-surgical rhinoplasty. Sure. Um, and, and there were some live injectings of noses, yeah. including using ultrasound to look in the nose and so on. And I know there was a bit of controversy. One of my colleagues said that, you know, they were injecting down onto the bone, which is what is mm. supposed to be done. But then they were injecting as they pulled up more superficially where the arteries are. Yeah. So you could watch anything and say, hey, that's really dangerous. I don't think you should be showing that on stage. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that everything is done in every part of the world. And these events are kind of a showcase of what is done, not necessarily you should be doing this in your own clinic. Yeah. Yeah. So see it as almost like, I mean, a lot of people who I spoke to, including our patrons, they said, you know, what's really reassuring is that even though we're maybe a little bit more junior than you, we even have some insight to say, well, I didn't like that, mm. or I didn't like what she said, and therefore I'm not going to do that in my clinic. So you take away stuff that you're actually already doing and feel more empowered to continue doing that because yeah. you didn't like what you saw on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to ask a question before I moved on to that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so I'm pretty sure you told me once that when 
you employed injectors mm. and they came back from big events like the MD codes, you saw a significant spike in filler usage. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially after Maurizio's stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you tell me, is that good or bad or is it just good for business, but not good for patients? You, you tell me. Well, it was always short-lived. It, it never really lasted for long. People would sort of get inspired and they wanted to try out these things that they'd seen done on stage on their patients. So in some ways, I I don't know. I, I'd probably lean on the side of probably not so great because it wasn't something that it wasn't, it was like a crash. You know how people go on like a crash diet, they do something for a few weeks and they sort of fall off the bandwagon and go back to their old habits. It wasn't really a thought process on how to implement what they had learned in a way that would, that would have longevity and, and sort of work its way into their continual daily practice. And I also don't like the idea of just sort of being watching something on stage and then the next day you turn up to work, you're using all your next lot of patients as guinea pigs to try yeah, something no, I, that you just saw. Yeah, I mean, the caveat was, is, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming you didn't have a spike in complications is really the bottom line. Um, no, there were a few people that came back for for dissolving things on occasion because I guess the injector kind of overshot the mark mm. a little bit and there, there was too much done. So yeah. it was obviously great short term for business. And I mean, I think there was like one week where like injectables almost like tripled than what it normally was just because everyone <laughs> and their, their volumes had just increased. So yeah. I don't know. It, it, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I think if I look at it just from a purely ethical perspective and looking at it in the long term, yeah. I, think that, I think there's a huge amount of benefit in seeing what's what's possible to be done, but I think it needs to be implemented in a way that's sustainable and still with your patient's best interest at heart. Yeah, sort of doing yeah. it in a more methodical way rather than just a knee-jerk reaction of excitement and then just using your next lot of patients as guinea pigs. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that that is clearly crazy. And I mean, I don't know what your your injector's average filler usage was normally, but I'm guessing one to two mils, maybe yeah. three and a push. Yeah, yeah one to so, three, you know, I'm seeing like six and seven mils. And, I, right. and uh, it was almost like a double or a triple of what people would do. Yeah. And, you know, a few patients kind of feel like coming back and saying, oh, I felt like I was kind of pushed into this and I got caught up in the excitement of the moment, but it wasn't really what I was after. And I, I really kind of fought that amount of money or I, I sort of feel a bit over augmented now. So I, I think that there are obviously some patients that were happy, but it, it was just a really interesting observation, which is kind of why I asked the question and, and leads me to the next, I guess, question we're talking about the live dem demonstration thing is that, and I don't know how we get around this, but is it potentially not really realistic because we know, um, I'm not as an injector myself, but as, as seeing you know, thousands of treatments over the years, that a, a treatment that looks good today might not look good in 12 months from now or even six weeks from now as sort of things move, they settle, the you know the animation of the face can sort of cause, cause things to happen. And particularly areas like under the eye where people mm -hmm. to have long-term issues, that maybe it looks good immediately and then it starts to look so good. So we kind of showing people the result of something that looks perfect at the time, but then if you sort of fast forward into the future where it might not look so good or complications start to arise, are we potentially it's almost like a performance art kind of thing rather than a realistic picture of, of what actually these treatments will look like once reality has set in. Yeah. hundred percent. Look, Maurizio is really clear. I'm using him as the example, just, you know, he's not the only one who uses lots of filler, but he's very clear that you would break this up into three or four sessions over a year. So yeah. at maximum you do four syringes in that first session mm -hmm. and you, you would nearly always work on the mid face. So the cheek and, and the front of the cheek. So 
you would be following up that patient within a month if there was a problem yeah. and jumping on that rather than progressing to you know your 15th miller filler so of course when you watch all of this done in one go you go oh my goodness that's completely unrealistic and wow they're going to be swollen and i bet they're going to get lumps and bumps and you know mm. this isn't going to be perfect and that's true of course it's true Maurizio it also has the insight to say i'm not perfect sometimes people need a touch up occasionally they're dissolved so i don't think the purpose of it is to walk away thinking wow i need to dump 15 mils into my patient every day that's not the point but the point is if you treat the whole face you do a total face consult you treat top from bottom the yeah. results can be spectacular that, that that's really the takeaway yeah um but no d d you know i don't think and i mean even me two or three years ago i was doing you know not routinely, but reasonably regular, I'd do 10 meals in a patient who needed it. But even now, you know, I haven't had significant complications, but I've just backed off mm. doing it in one go because I just think it's easier to mentally process going a little bit slower for the patient, not no. for me, but for the patient. Mm. Um, you know, if I, if they walk away and, and they get some concept of what I mean by swelling or what it feels like to feel fresh filler under the skin, you know, little lumps and bumps. It's better to go in a piecemeal way rather than doing all 10 to 15 mils and they sort of wake up feeling like they've been, you know, in a fight. That That's not nice for a patient. Yeah. So, yeah, I, this is a show. This isn't a, a, a true treatment. It's a show. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe that's why it looks so spectacular because everything is done in one go. Yeah. But, you know, there's some patients who have the budget, they have the understanding, and if you've got an injector who can deliver that, I also don't have a problem with that either. It just depends on you've got to align the patient to the injector, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. That's no, fascinating. And is there anything that you're going to adjust or add to your practice from from this conference? Yes and no. So 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 to tease, I guess, what Michael Kane was saying without sort of giving away the punchline, <laughs> he did a talk uh with himself and I think there was three or four oculoplastic surgeons oh. where his premise was that the most feared complication of toxin, which is uh, a liptosis, yeah. um, is not from Botox or toxin seeping into the eyelid, which we are commonly, commonly told. In fact, I even, until this talk, just assumed by, you know, the old wives' tales, old wives' tales that I've been told over many years that that's what happens. Mm. Uh, but he was essentially saying the problem is that the Botox that we're doing for the glabella is often too high. Right. So we're inadvertently treating the frontalis when we're supposed to be treating the glabella, which then causes a ptosis or a pseudotosis. Right. So even though it's not going to hugely change my practice, it's nice to understand the why. So I can stay away from that complication, even though I might have had it only two in my career. It's nice to know how I would get that down to maybe never having one ever again. Yeah. Um, so, so that's maybe just a, it was kind of a simple practical point, but actually a really relevant one. Cause you know, when you watch injectors injecting on, you know, Instagram and YouTube, I often think, wow, you're really high. Like, I wonder what would happen if, if your toxin sort of affecting the frontalis when you're not even trying to treat it. Yeah. So that was an interesting one, but I think we'll get Michael on to explain it properly because it's a really important point, particularly for, for more junior injectors. Yeah. Definitely. Um, what else would I change? I think apart from that, it, it was sort of reassurance that everything I'm doing is, is as I 
kind of like it. That sounds sort of arrogant, but I heard a lot of people sort of sitting there sort of reassuring themselves that, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm happy with what I'm doing, but it's nice to see something different. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, ni- it was nice to sort of kind of walk away feeling like, wow, I'm not overwhelmed and I'm not doing anything unusual. That radical. Yeah, no, it's good. Sometimes just that's, it's worth it just, just for that in itself to have that reassurance and confidence in what you're already doing. I tell you, um, this is sort of touching on my takeaways from Miami now. So yeah, get to before, that. before, yeah, but, um, I guess the overlap with Monaco was, I guess let's call it the perception drift of injectors own like of injectables in their own face. Oh yeah. So, I mean, look, not to sort of make light of this or, or try and make it funny, but there's a lot of strange people walking around and, you know, you can sort of yeah. laugh about it. Yeah, no, well, Miami, but more so in Monaco. And that doesn't surprise me, to be completely honest. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of generally concerning because, you know, you're sat in a lecture with a thousand other injectors talking about treating people holistically and respecting the anatomy and not overdoing things and all the rest of these things that we all know as injectors and we talk about on the podcast regularly. And yet you turn to the side and there's someone clearly who doesn't follow that or understand that or care. Mm. And again, you know, we sort of touched on this. Is this a case of taste or aesthetic or fashion? Is it right? Is it wrong? I don't want to sit here and come across as judgy, but some people are so far extreme outside of what you and I might see as nice work. Right. It's, it's kind of, it's concerning. It's, 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 uh, I don't know what we do about that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, oh, you got to go wonder what sort of patients are, are going. I mean, are they attracting, does it start to become, I guess, a self-fulfilling prophecy where as you look a certain way, then you attract patients that want that look. And then you surrounded by that aesthetic all day, every day, and everyone's just carry on like it's normal, that it almost reinforces that this is correct. Yeah, and, I'm sure that's the case. Yeah. But I mean, what we're trying to do with the podcast or one of our kind of overarching themes is to normalize our industry and to make it more acceptable and for patients to have a better understanding of what we're trying to do and not scare them off. Mm. And yet, you know, if you saw an injector walking around looking like what I saw, your average patient would run a mile and say, there's no way I'm ever doing injectables. I mean, that sounds harsh, but I think it's true. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I should have even gone up to them and said, oh, hey, I'll do a podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you... <laughs> I don't know how you word that. We've got this new mini series out calling uh, Freaks and Freak Shows. We'd like you to be on episode number one. <laughs> Look, uh, there are always levels to this, but there no. were two people that particularly stood out. Do you, do you know what I mean by the guy called the Kendall in the States? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, these were two clones of the Kendall. They were so extremely augmented that you could see them like literally a mile away. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say because obviously there is an aesthetic, and and people kind of aspire to some of these looks. So kudos to you if you're running a busy practice and people want that. Who am I to judge? I just feel like it's it's very far removed from what the majority of us injectors are trying to achieve. Put it that way. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult concept because it's sort of like you can't tell these people they need to come to this realization on their own. Like there was, uh, it's it's easier to fool someone than to convince someone they've been fooled. 
if you get what I mean. So like if you, do you know, yeah, I, I, I've seen this thing in, in sort of different industries before. Um, and it doesn't matter how smart or educated you are or intelligent. If you have a certain way of thinking, it's, it's, it's very difficult to sort of force yeah. someone to change their opinion. It's almost like they have to come to that realization on their own when patients yeah. are coming to them or they have some sort of epiphany where, you know, they have a complete mindset shift, but it's, I, I don't think it's our job to, to convince these people that they're wrong. I think it's about just promoting sensible aesthetics, safe injecting, attracting the right patients and hoping in the end that that, that, that will be enough to sort of turn those people around at some point in the future. I think it's, I think it's, it's a really difficult one. Yeah. I mean, what would you do? I know you don't own clinics now, but if you had an injector who was pumping out, in your opinion, kind of less desirable looks, but they were damn busy and they were your best earner. Yeah. I mean, what does that do for your reputation as a clinic owner? Forget forget the injector. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer. It's it's a difficult question. I think it comes back to what's your long-term vision for your business. Yes. So I think that if you're looking to expand that business or sell that business one day, um, I mean, it's 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 a really tough question because there's always the commercial reality of a situation. Everyone likes to say, oh, you know, money's not everything. But at the end of the day, it's a very powerful motivator, no matter what anyone's going to do. So that's difficult. I, I think if you've got like a long-term vision for your business and you're looking to potentially expand or sell one day or m- minimize risk, because I assume that these extreme looks, you're doing higher volumes of of product, there's more needles going in people's faces, there's potentially some body dysmorphic issues going on. Um, so I think that those patients just inherently will attract more risk to your business on a number yeah. of fronts. So I think it I think it comes down to just what do you win, what do you gain? I mean, what do you what do you win, what do you lose? What are your potential risks? What could potentially go wrong? So I think yeah. in the end, if you've got a long-term vision for your business and you're not economically strapped. Uh, for me, I'd probably make a decision to sort of ask that injector to maybe potentially go and find somewhere else to work because it's not in line with my values as a business owner and what I think is responsible. And yeah. I've always looked at businesses as a long-term investment. And so for me, that type of patient or that type of approach might make you lots of money in the short term, but I think in the long run could present more damage to your brand and potentially more complications or adverse events or patient complaints. I think that's a really good point. Forgetting, you know, the aesthetic and the tasting, it's these patients are far more likely to come back and complain or yeah. want more or not see a result or, yeah. you know, become pain patients who are there every week. Yeah. So, so then you, you're almost creating, and I've referred to this term countless times on the podcast, that false economy. So you think you're making all this money, the money's in your bank account, but in the end, but that a lot of that money might disappear if you're having to do refunds and yeah. <laughs> Get, you know, it's getting people to sign NDAs and giving them money to make them, you know, make the problem disappear, you know, yeah. that potentially can sort of offset those gains. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's a slippery slope, I think. And I think it's once you start going down that path, it can be very difficult to walk back from it. Yeah. I'll tell you from a pure injecting perspective, I was kind of looking at some of these faces, particularly these two guys that just really stand out. And just from a, a, a a technical perspective i was wondering how much filler was there and what was done and mm. do they have any implants it just looks so that their heads were like not, not matching their body you know they were too yeah. big and too boxy too square 
Um, but I thought, wow, I wonder if that is all HA or if, or if there's something else going on. I, I really didn't know. It was that bizarre. Wow. Be interesting to <laughs> have a conversation with one of those people at some point. It'd be interesting just to understand the psychology and, and sort of what their treatment journey has looked like. I mean, if they're willing to if they're willing to walk out in public like that, you'd like you'd have to think that they might be willing to come on and have a conversation just from an interest perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No no judgment. Like genuine, I'm just interested in how it was done, what you want to achieve, what is the aesthetic and you know, how do you think that you're perceived? You know. Yeah. Yeah, so if anyone wants to have that chat, I would welcome it. It's you know, as you said, not judging, just interested. Yeah, I was um, again, I guess, touching on Miami now. I, I spoke yeah. to, I was having a drink with four nurse injectors about this very issue. Yeah. And it was really kind of a sensible thing. They said, "Well, we we have an agreement with each other because we all work close enough to each other that we see each other regularly, but we're independent injectors. Yeah. But we we will actually speak as a four. And if someone starts to look weird in, in our group, we will literally, as a three, in a formal capacity, say to them, we think you, you're overcooked now. And it's almost like a thing that they have to do. They agree that they have to tell each other. So it's like a... Um, a check. It's like a, a, a counterbalance yeah, injected like a, check. Uh, aesthetic interventions. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they didn't have a name <laughs> for it, but I just thought it was a nice... Yeah. that they'd actually discussed explicitly and they, and they would actually call each other out and say, you know, hey, Sally, uh, I think those cheeks are looking a bit cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's, um, talk, let's talk about Miami because you were over there, you, you, you gave a talk. Um, I gave three yeah, talks. Three talks, yeah. So you put a post up on your Instagram which outlines all the key takeaways from mm. that trip. Should we, do you want to have a, a chat about those and sort of expand on those a little bit? Well, yeah, well, let me just, I guess, explain what it was. So AMWC, which was the main event, is in Monaco, but they have numerous legs around the world. Yeah. And North America leg was held in Miami this year, and it was the first one they've ever done. So I have to admit, I had a little bit of um, anxiety is the wrong word, but I wasn't quite sure what to expect, whether the, you know, there could be 10 people, 1,000 people, I just didn't know. Uh, but it was a well-attended event. Um, I would guess there was, I don't know, one one thousand five hundred. I don't know exactly how many, but they had a, a one main hall, which was the ballroom of the convention center. And I think I did a, a story sort of showing how big the hall was. It was massive. Uh, so that was the main hall for the main talks. And then they had, I don't know, three or four smaller rooms with about 100 seats for smaller talks. So I was invited by Patricia Ogilvy. She's a, a German doctor, and she's one of the sort of chair people of the conference. So that was nice to be invited. So thank you, Patricia, if you're ever listening to this. Um, and they gave me three topics. My first topic was a panel discussion. So I was up on stage with, I think, five other injectors um, mm -hmm. discussing, well, the, the purpose of this talk was to talk about a theme or a trend or an issue in your own region of the world. Mm. So I had to speak on an Australian perspective and and so on. My, my, my colleague Nicole was from South Africa. Other colleague Noreen was from Egypt. There was someone from Sweden and someone from Brazil. So it's interesting to you know hear the different talks. But I decided to sort of talk about hyalase and dissolving mm. because I actually had a patient turn up in my clinic maybe a month or six weeks ago who had been treated in America six years ago for filler under her eyes. 
And since then, she's had chronic puffiness. She hates it. And, you know, you can see it. It's not just in her own mind. She, she really does have puffiness. So then she went to see a doctor in the UK who is advocating to do MRIs to look for the filler, which is, you know, a bit of a concept that Mobin, our colleague in Australia, has been sort of pushing. But my point of the talk was, well, what do you do with these patients when they turn up in your clinic with pictures of an MRI saying, look, there's where the filler is. Dissolve it. Mm -hmm. Because if you're an injector who doesn't understand an MRI, doesn't understand how to do an ultrasound or doesn't have ultrasound capability, what are you going to do? And also, what's what's the point of the MRI? Like, why did that doctor not dissolve it for her if he's if he's willing to do an MRI? There, there, there are numerous issues around dissolving. Is really what I'm saying. And you know, when patients turn up in our clinic, there's a bit of a not an ethical dilemma, but the, the, the dilemma really really is: should I do this or should I not do this? Because if you do it, you're suddenly taking all the responsibility of that bad injecting done in America six years ago. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do it right or I miss the filler. It's all on me. Mm. So my talk was, what do we do with these various imaging modalities? Do we all need to learn ultrasound? And then sort of a like a final little thing that I dangled was, because I was speaking in America, they use Hylinex, not Hylase. Mm. So that's made differently, and it comes in different units, and it also comes also already reconstituted, whereas obviously our Hylase is a powder. So my real kind of question at the end was, which I didn't answer, I just left for the audience, is do we need to reclassify ILAs and and all the various available dissolvers? I mean, I'm here in Dubai, I visited my friend in his clinic, and he's got another type of ILAs that I've never seen before that comes reconstituted in 1,500 units, which you would assume is the same as the one that we're using in Australia. But is it? I don't know. I have no idea. Hmm. So I almost feel like we don't really understand what the hell we're doing with with dissolving is really my my bottom line of that panel discussion and it was well received it was good yeah um have any thoughts on how we solve the problem or what people should do well i guess as a basic takeaway is don't compare yourself to american or european highways understand what Mm -hmm. you've got available in your own country and work with your own local experts who who have the best evidence base for you know for what what you can achieve with that dissolver um, obviously, I'm I'm neither pro nor against singing for ultrasound. I personally have an ultrasound and it's useful for me, but I don't want to be drawn into this online argument about you must have ultrasound or you or it's silly. You know, there are very polarized sort of camps on that sort of, I guess, that argument. And whereas I just see from a personal perspective, it's helped me. But I'm not going to tell other injectors they have to buy an ultrasound. Because yeah. you know you need to be trained in it. It's expensive. It's not right. It's not practical for everyone. Um, but I don't know. I, I I just feel like we're still learning how to use this technology, uh, and I don't want to get into this whole argument of you must have it. Because you know if I say that, then I'm saying that every injector who doesn't have it is rubbish. Whereas you know I don't believe well, believe it either. Maybe it's just a, a case of having a relationship with an injector close to you that is competent with high layers. So that when these situations occur, you maybe have someone you can refer to who you know is not going to start stealing your patients. See, <laughs> that, all sound, them. that all sounds so lovely, and I, I kind of agree that that is sensible. But then it's a bit like the guy who did the MRI, but then didn't do the dissolving. Then all the responsibility is on me again, as that yeah, sure. key guy with an ultrasound that everyone just sends their crap injecting to. 
But I mean, that, yeah. I'm, I'm boiling that down to kind of stupid examples. Yeah. And sometimes it would be really helpful, you know, if someone doesn't have the capability to send to someone who can. But I just think that someone who's willing to put their hand up and take all the local cases of bad injecting, that person's going to be a bit annoyed pretty soon. I mean, this could be a question for a lawyer at some point. I know we've got our resident that's been on a couple of times, but I'm happy to sort of farm this out. But maybe maybe there needs to be a different path that patients go down or a form that's signed, which will give injectors confidence to take on these patients, but some sort of disclaimer so they're not going to be held responsible for what was done previously. I'm not sure what the legal... I could be talking complete nonsense, but I think it could be worth at least discussing whether there's an option there for injectors to be able to offer this service with a, a signed form that will reduce their so. liability. I mean, look, and the patient needs to take some responsibility in this journey. I mean, sure, if you're treated in America and you now live in Australia, there's no recourse. You've, you've got to see someone in Australia. But if you have seen someone in your city and you decide you don't like the work or there is a genuine issue, please go back and see that injector and have a sensible conversation and see what can be done at the point of treatment, right? Because as soon yeah. as you go to another clinic, it's different values, different style, different prices. Mm-hmm. You ju- it, it, you're just opening a whole new, I guess, can of worms, even if they're there to help you. It's, it's just diff- a different experience. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's kind of like people think that like providers are just so interchangeable. Like You wouldn't just get a hip replacement and then go to Australia and then just randomly go and see another orthopedic. So you'd probably go back to, you probably want to at least go back to the person who did the surgery the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally agree because they, they were the person who did it. They know the potential issues or maybe something wasn't right on the day and in the back yeah. of their mind, they decided to leave it and see how things went. But I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a real can of worms. Um, and mm. anyway, then my second talk was how I go about treating tiredness. So it was a 15-minute yes. talk, and I didn't just want to talk about how I do filler, although that was part of the talk. I was going to talk about the why, so a bit about the yep. consultation and how I get people to understand their face better, and you know, even if they come in for lips, how sometimes I get them to look at their face a bit more globally and appreciate that even if I do their lips, they're still going to walk away looking tired and not mm. quite good. They look, yep. they look like a tired person with big lips, essentially. So sometimes you need to convert the consultation in a way that's better for the patient, even if they haven't come there for that primary concern. So that was a good talk. Um, I actually won a prize for that talk. So, um, you get, what's the prize? I won a lab coat. Ooh, <laughs> fancy. Um, but, you know, joking aside, um, they've invited me back to speak next year, which was nice. Um, and they did invite me to another conference in Las Vegas in June, but I, I can't go to that. It's just too much, too much flying yeah. and stuff. But it was just nice to be recognised, and, and you know the audience voted. So it wasn't the the conference who gave me the prize; it was the audience who voted. Um, so that was really cool. Sorry, so, that, this music is your. I can't. I'm trying to look at your post, and your music keeps playing. I can't, <laughs> just turn, I can't turn your volume down. <laughs> no, <now>. sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying? Um, yeah, anyway, so so I won a prize, which was nice. And then my third talk was actually on the podcast. So, nice. it, yeah, it was in one of the smaller breakout rooms. And it was a little bit weird, I have to be honest. I was in a digital marketing sort of panel. So I had a guy talking about websites and I had a guy talking about, um, you know, marketing and funnels and stuff on your website. And, 
someone else talking about um, something that they do within their clinic to, to get more patients. And then I sort of got wheeled in at the end to talk about the podcast. So I sort of, my opening line was, uh, sorry guys, I think I'm in the wrong room because I'm not uh. going to talk to you about digital marketing. However, um, you know, I guess this is the most likely room because I'm not, to, I'm not talking about injecting. So it's kind of a bit funny, but um, it was nice. It was well received. Um, there was only maybe 50 to 100 people in the room. There were actually a couple of listeners in the room, which was nice. Um, yep. And I, you know, I spoke about you know what we're doing, what we're trying to achieve with the podcast, and of course, um, introduced the concept of the IA Patreon for anyone who was listening yep. to be interested in that. Um, yep. But yeah, it was just you know it's nice to just get some recognition for the podcast, I guess. Yeah, and we'll we'll, we'll sort of touch on the Patreon before we sort of wrap up, but before we kind of just looking at the time here and conscious that you've got things you want to do. Um, Dr. John Joseph was someone that you mentioned to me on a phone call a couple of weeks ago, and you've obviously touched on it again here in your post. Mm. And so from what, what you explained to me, so this is just sort of my idiot interpretation is he's a plastic surgeon that's undertaken a lot of studies um, with toxins. Yes. And what I could surmise was that he's actually of the opinion that we've been underdosing people for was long as we've been doing these treatments and that this underdosing obviously affects the longevity of the results. And it's his position that if we actually increased our dosage, that we could almost have a dial that we could switch up, you know, up and down depending on how long we wanted these results to last. And I think you discussed having him on the podcast to talk about some of the studies that he's done. I think he's working alongside Allegan, I think you mentioned, who are interested in this stuff as well. So do you want to expand on that a little bit? Because it sounds utterly fascinating. I'm very keen to have a chat with him. Yeah, look, so when you go to these some of these conferences, and like, well, like we were saying about Monaco, you often go away thinking, ah, not going to change too much in my practice. And ah, that was interesting, but not really life-changing. But this talk uh, was like mind-blowing, a complete perception change in, in how I think about toxins anyway. So John is a plastic surgeon, like you said. Um, I think he's based mainly in California. And his key role for injecting is he's been involved in over 80 FDA clinical trials, not just with Allergan, but all of the brands. So Galderma, no. Tio well, I say Tioxane, uh, Revance, Allergan, uh, all of the Latibo, like all, all of these smaller players, um, he has been involved in the trial. So he has a very unbiased view because he just works with everyone, which is great. You know, you always want that perspective. Uh, and he's been doing it for like the last 20 years. Um, mm. The key takeaway really was, in fact, how I got introduced to him, I was having a chat with Steve Weiner, who's been on the podcast before. And I said, oh, you know, we really want to do a Tox Talks episode in the future about dose and maybe what goes on in the trials. And, you know, who do you reckon I should speak to? And literally, John Joseph was behind us. And Steve Weiner goes, him. He's the guy. He's the guy you need. So I introduced yeah. myself to John and such a nice down-to-earth guy. Um, you know, just just really normal. Like did, didn't come across as crazy academic, but he he clearly is. Um, but his talk was so good because he broke it down in real layman's language. And like you said, he it's hard to explain. I don't want to give the game away completely, but yes. He feels that we've been underdosing our patients ever since day one. Um, but also he's got an interesting theory about the dilution and reconstitution that we're currently doing mm. with all of our toxins, not just Botox, but Dysport and Xeomin and everything else. So I'll dangle it at that because I don't want to give 
everything away before we actually get him on. But it'll be a fascinating podcast. And I think um, if anything's going to change the way you see something as quite benign and boring, that will be the podcast to listen to. Right. So he's agreed to come on. He's agreed to come on and he gave me his card. And then I realized on his card only after I left the conference that his personal number isn't on his card. Oh, <laughs> so I've got, I've got his clinic's email, but look, I'm sure I can get his number through Steve or someone else. But yeah, he yeah. agreed to come on. Um, we just have to plan that one for the near future. But fascinating, like totally, totally fascinating. And, and even if, you know, it's not going to change your practice, just to listen to his involvement in the trials and to understand what yeah. actually happens. I think it's really important because, you know, when you read these papers, you walk away feeling like you understand what was done and what was achieved and the complication rate, but it's actually quite complicated. Uh, and no. so what you read, you sort of have to not take with a pinch of salt, but realize that it's not a true reflection on reality. No. Um, yeah. So he, he will be a fascinating guy to come on. So yeah, John, yeah. if you're listening, we, we'd love to have you on. Absolutely. So before we sort of um, wrap things up, should we talk about the Patreon a little bit in terms of initiatives that's coming? Um, our website is getting closer by the day. I've, we've seen the updates coming through from our developers that there's uh, the community is coming. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, exciting stuff in 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 the in the near very near future. So, guys, if you're new, thinking what the hell are we talking about? So, Patreon is, I guess you'd call it a website. They've also got an app where it allows us as a creator, I guess. So, we're a podcast we can offer you guys more content than the podcast. So one of the things that we realized quite early on with the podcast is everyone you know, listens and enjoys it and whatever, but it sort of ends there. There's no interactivity. There's no way to expand on, on the conversations that we're having. So we started trying to you know, do WhatsApp groups and Instagram polls and try and engage with people in various ways. And really, it sort of wasn't quite enough. So the IA patrons allowed us to effectively have a subscription service where you guys as injectors or even business owners can join up uh, on various tiers, uh, priced slightly differently per month. Not a lot. The maximum you'll spend is $50 a month, Australian dollars, but it goes all the way down to about $10 a month. Uh, and you get more cool stuff. So, um, But yep. the main thing that I think the patrons mentioned, and particularly the guys I met in Monaco, it's the connectivity to other people in the same boat as you. Um, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of a complication. We even managed a complication via WhatsApp of a VO in northwest of England uh, successfully. Uh, so, yeah. you know, some of these things, I'm not saying that that's the service we formally provide, but we were happy to help. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, we advised them to try and find, find someone locally to help. But Nevertheless, we pulled together as a community and and helped. But, you know, there's other content. So you're doing a lot of business stuff, David. So tell tell them about what what you offer. Oh well, I mean, I've started doing business lives every, every few weeks. I've got to look at the date when the next one's coming up, but surely it's not too far away. Hmm. And so it's it sort of it's a, it's a work in progress. We're, we're sort of learning as we're going in terms of how we deliver the content and what sort of content that, that we're putting out. But I'm purely focusing on on business related topics, whether that be how to grow your business, thinking about how you set your business up to sell it in the future, understanding just basic um, financial. So, you know, looking at financial literacy, how to read P&Ls and balance sheets and liquidity and and sort of just getting an understanding of, of the business side of what it is that we do. And also getting some guests back to talk about, I guess, peripheral topics. So, medico-legal issues, um, talking about 
we have we had Felix on talking about you know the, the the sort of genesis of ideas and how you take a concept and turn it into reality because he's done that successfully, um, not only with the injectable space but also the restaurant space as well. He's he's done some amazing things. Yeah. So it's just about expanding, having deeper discussions with some of the the guests that we've had on previously, and really trying to arm everyone in the community with just a better understanding of the business side of what it is that we do because most of us come into this industry completely unaware um, of just basic business uh, principles and um, it's a competitive space it's uh, it's not just as simple as opening up your, your doors these days and you're going to be successful there's a lot of thought and planning and basic uh, fundamental understanding of business that's required to be successful in the long term especially as the market globally continues to consolidate when potentially we've got you know, some volatile economic times coming up. So that's what I'm doing from my perspective. Also doing um, business consulting for for people privately. But a lot of those conversations that I'm having, if people are happy to let me record it, the first session is complimentary and sharing that with our community as well. So people can understand what what are the common questions that are being asked, the challenges that people are coming across on a daily basis on their business. And as you said, it's providing that community and just hearing someone that might be having the same challenges um, that they're having it's 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 refreshing and it's comforting to know that you're not alone and that we've we've got a community of people that we're building and we're looking to share ideas, our successes and our failures. Because I don't certainly have all the all the answers to the to the questions. I'm still learning every day as well. So it's just bringing people together to learn from each other's skill sets and successes and failures. That that's sort of from my perspective what it is that we're doing. Yeah. So those conversations are available. We're calling them the IA Business Insights. I think that's what we called them. And that's yeah. available on our highest tier. So depending yeah. on what tier you're on, you get access to different things. But essentially, the feedback it's been, it's been great. People are enjoying what we're putting out, the community, the connection. Of course, then when you go to Monaco or any of these yeah. other conferences, you've got a, a gang of buddies to hang around with and chat with and go yeah. for dinner with. So it's cool. And you're doing some injectable sessions as well, which is going to be I'm looking forward to that because... Uh, I get to be the I get to be the person controlling the room <laughs> to do the talking. Yeah, um, a kind of announcement for the people because I did put out a date. I think I said it was May the fifteenth. Um, yes. I may be away now. <laughs> I've been invited. Oh, right. to, I've been invited to go to Japan for three days with Allegan, which is amazing. Uh, it may not be that day. I, I will double check with you guys uh, if you're yeah. any patrons listening. And I've also been invited ten days later to go to Thailand for three days with Alagan. So um, busy, busy, busy first six months of the year. But nevertheless, we will put out content for you guys. So don't worry, we'll work it out. Coming, and then we've got the IA community, which is currently under construction with our, our new website, which is exciting. I'm not sure how much we want to give away now, but. Um, there's definitely more value coming for for our for our listeners and our patrons in the in the very near future, and not just those people, but also businesses who potentially want to sell or provide products or supply injectors with things. So, if you work for a company and you're within our space or industry, not just in Australia but other countries as well, just keep on listening and watch out for what we're calling the IA community because I think. Hopefully, once we've got something to show you guys and involve you in, it will be a win-win-win. Win for injectors, win for us as a podcast, but also for the industry. Yeah, not too far away. So lots of exciting stuff coming in the very near future. 
Um, thanks, Jake, for taking time out of your, well, now it's downtime, I guess. It's it's family time with a holiday coming up soon. All the hard work's been done and now you get to chill out and work on your tan with your lovely <laughs> wife. Well, we don't do that because we're sun safe and we hide right, from yeah. the sun and use Factor 50 here on IA Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was just testing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, sorry if the, the quality of this podcast has been slightly suboptimal. I'm on my iPad in my friend Richard's uh, office using AirPods as my microphone. So apologies if it's yeah. been a I little bit it good. suboptimal. It's been a few weeks since you and I have, have spoken and we didn't want to leave too much of a gap and just thought it'd be good to catch up and see what you've been doing, what you've learned, what's coming in the future and just to reconnect with, with our community because uh, we miss you guys and we don't talk to you very often. Yeah, we do. Well, thanks, buddy. Nice to talk and see your happy yeah. face. And um, yes. yeah, I'll be back in two weeks' time. So we will reconnect and start recording more. Looking forward to it and enjoy your time and say hello to your family and uh, safe travels, my friend. Perfect. All right. Take care, mate. See you later. Bye. Bye. For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.